about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Sean Ross App, Fightful.com. Welcome to the Wrestling Basement. My man, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on again. No problem, man. Uh, it's been a while. I think it's been maybe three, four years. I think I had you on for a WrestleMania preview, maybe for, I think it was for WrestleMania 32. So, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, my gosh, has it been that long? Yeah, you're a very busy guy, man. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I can't believe it's been that long. It, it feels like it was like last year or something. That's uh, insane. <laughs> um, you can follow Sean Ross App on Twitter at uh, Sean Ross App. Great work for Fightful.com. Um, so this is the Wrestling Basement, a new podcast. I started on some retro throwback wrestling uh, stuff and conversation. I know the current product, the current um, landscape is a little weird now. Uh, seeing shows with no with no audience and it just it, it, it's different. So I say, you know, what, let me take a step back and, and, and have convos with people who cover the sport, who were a fan back then, who are fans now, and just sit back and have some throwback retro conversation. So I mentioned you do work for Fightful.com. Uh, you probably you probably run the whole shit, but I, I told you off air that. You know, I, I commend you for the work that you do because you, you, you're very good at what you do. Um, you know, going back to the Wrestling Inc. days, uh, you know, with, with, with that and Roger Russo and those guys and seeing your podcast and just hearing the content that you provide week in, week out. Uh, it don't matter what day of the week it is. It don't matter what time of day it is. You could be on at one o'clock in the morning after a fucking pay per view. You're on it. So um, <laughs> happens a lot, actually. Unfortunately, it <laughs> happens a lot. I think, um, yeah. So you're 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 great for the culture, great for the community of, of wrestling fans. I know you probably get a lot of shit from people on Twitter. Um, sure. So it, it, it's the norm, but if nobody tells you how good you are and um, you know show their appreciation, I'm telling you right now. Well, I'm, I'm more appreciative of the, of the people that care because I know that for a very, very, very long time in wrestling news, mm. people weren't open to new sources popping up and new news sources. The same guys were around for a long time, and that's because they were very good. But, man, I, I can't tell you how happy I am to see how things changed over the last couple of years. That There are good news sources all over the place right now, and that makes me very happy because – it was tougher when I, I was trying to break in to establish that it's a lot easier now. And I'm glad that it's a lot easier now because the more people that are out there, 
the better. Uh, and, and of course, there, there's some a couple of negative interactions on Twitter. I get like 35,000 tweets a month. So they're not all going to be winners. Some Damn. of them are going to be, <laughs> they're going to be sucky, but the, yeah. the positive way outweighs the negative, like by, by far, like I get so many good people on Twitter and now you can just, you can mute block, do away with whatever you don't want to hear. And yeah, I'm fine with that. Exactly. Um, the first question I ask every per, uh, person on the show is, um, you know, what made you become a fan of wrestling? Was it a, a match, a certain superstar? Was it a, a live event you went to? Uh, your first pay-per-view? You know, were your parents or siblings watching it? Like, what got Sean Roll Sapp into a big-time wrestling fan back then and still now? So I have a pretty vivid memory. Or not a vivid memory, a vague memory of a match that I just happened to, to see. Like, it was, it's wild the way that it ended up, it ended up. but mm-hmm. I, I remember being at my grandmother's house and she was flipping channels and one of the things she came across were was a cage and a ring inside a cage and a man who I, I now know as Ric Flair was standing on on the top of the ropes on one, of, one end mm-hmm. and then a man with face paint was on the other end and a bunch of other people in between. For years, I was like, was that the Road Warriors? Was it Sting? I found out it was the Great Muta, and I, I'm pretty sure that that was the all. That was also the match where Sting came out, scaled the cage, and ended up tearing his knee apart. I think it was Clash of the Champions ten, and I saw that, and I was immediately like, "Look at all these these cool looking people with face paint and like this bleached hair, and a cage there and a ring there." I was I was instantly hooked, and that was that was NWA in like February 1990. Mm. I would eventually I would find WWF like maybe a couple weeks later, and there's all this production value and vivid colors and all this stuff that is so attractive to a five year old four year old kid at the time. Uh, I was hooked from that moment. I, I don't know if it was the face paint, the cage, what it was, yeah. but that's the first memory that I have. And ever since then, I, I've never been able to stop being a wrestling fan. So I, I tell everybody when they answer me, I say, you know what? So me and you are, are on the same time frame, 1990. Um, the first pay-per-view I recall seeing, um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, was SummerSlam 89. So you talk about uh, Hogan Beefcake in, in the main event with Macho, uh, Macho King and Zeus and uh, the Warrior against Rude for the uh, Intercontinental Championship, but I think it was the the one match, you know, like your Muda and Ric Flair match, the match that got me hooked was, uh, again, face paint. It was a Warrior and Hogan for WrestleMania six. so uh, seeing that, I'm not sure if I saw it live or, or on a VHS after that, but once I saw that match, you know, two good guys in the main event, title for title, I was a big Warrior fan. Again, it could be the face paint, could be the music, just the energy. But from that point on, man, you talk about almost 30 years later, uh, still a fan of wrestling, man, after seeing that match. Yeah, it's different things will hook different people. Mm, definitely. And that, that's, what, that's what I love. There's something there for everybody. Exactly. Um, so I got you here for one reason and one reason only, and that's talk about the, uh, you know, Bret Hart coming back to the company in 1996. Um, after a few months hiatus or vacation, whatever you want to call it, then uh, his eventual heel turn in 1997 with the Heart Foundation. But in my preparation, you know, I, I give people topics and they pick one. So I gave you a whole bunch of topics and you picked this one. Why did you settle on 
uh, the Bret Hart topic of coming back in 96 and his heel turn in 97. It's one of my favorite periods in wrestling. And I think Bret Hart is one of the more fascinating people in wrestling there. I mean, mm-hmm. he's admittedly very bitter about wrestling and probably for a lot of good reasons between his brother and the screw job and all that. But I've grown to appreciate his work in totality a whole lot more in recent years than even I did back then or the years that followed his retirement. And this period was such a fascinating one because he was gone for a while. And back then, I didn't know if he was coming back. I was a 10-year-old kid Mm -hmm. thinking, where's Bret Hart going? He's not been around for a while. Is he gone forever? This was such a fascinating period, and Bret Hart helped so many people in that period. He feuded with so many different people uh, that that were either at the top or ascending to the top in that one year that he was back between Survivor Series 96 and 97. The guy was putting over the Patriot for the love of God. <laughs> like there, there were a lot of people that he oh, helped out God, yeah. uh, during that period and, and got himself over, I think to the best run of his career. I thought that was some of the most exciting stuff ever. Um, wow. The Patriot, I fucking forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. I, I, you know, going back, I and- try to forget about that. <laughs> um, so Brett is gone. Uh, we're, we're kind of fast forwarding a bit. Uh, so he has the match where Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12, Iron Man match. Uh, Shawn goes over, uh, and, and Shawn is now the world champion. As you mentioned, we don't get Brett back until maybe October, like on TV, October 96. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 you just mentioned you were upset or uh, confused about whether Brett was going to come back. But what did you make of the product at this time while Brett was there and when he when he uh, when he left so right now you got WCW and Nitro going off they they're not you know when Brett left they were they didn't hit the stride with NWO just yet yeah. so you're watching both products you're watching Raw and Nitro what did you make of the wrestling landscape at this particular time in 1996 and which which more which more were you a fan of Raw or Nitro I was more of a fan of Raw, but I loved like WCW Pro, W like WCW Saturday Night. I loved that because I saw a lot more. Uh, I saw a lot more of the underrated talent. I was a really little kid anyway, so I liked seeing a lot of the cruiserweights and stuff like that. When I would turn it on Nitro, I would see a lot of matches that that even at ten years old, I was like, I know this match doesn't matter. Why are we getting Big Bubba Rogers against VK Wall Street? I know that match doesn't matter. <laughs> But on WWF, especially towards the end of 95, there's a lot of underrated work there. Uh, you had Marty Jannetty, one, two, three kid skip. You, I thought diesel was doing some good work back then. Yeah. Like with Brett, Brett Hart, there, there was some really good stuff there. So around this period, uh, I, it was funny. I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling for a few years before that, but I would sneak and do it. And I got a VCR mm-hmm. around survivor series 95. So that entire run up to WrestleMania 12, I was VCRing and watching on my own privately, like a billion times each. So I would get to watch a lot more WWF cause I, it would stick in my head. I would record it and watch it. I would watch, get up early and watch WWF Mania on Saturday mornings and yeah. Superstars on Sunday. So I would see a lot more of that. And Bret Hart, to me, like you would always hear those people say, oh, he was a smaller guy. He wasn't really. He was 230 pounds. But I just looked at him and I said, 
I never saw a size. I just saw a guy that was better than everybody else at wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it convinced me. I was like, this guy was the best. And that was a big part of it. There wasn't anybody in WCW that I looked at, except maybe Sting at that point at 10 years old and said, wow, they're just better than everybody, regardless of size or anything. So that went a long way. Bret Hart was so convincing. And I think Bret doesn't get enough credit at that time because – you know, you had the new generation era come in. There's no Hogan, no Warrior, no Piper, no Macho, and and, and the Golden Era people. Um, so you have to rely on Brett and Sean and Razor and Diesel and Undertaker and those guys. Uh, probably a little more handful than I'm, than I'm forgetting. So, you know, if it wasn't for Brett and his skills and you know the matches he was putting on, being world champion. Uh, you know the company might look a lot different without those older guys. But I think him and Sean did a great job. Uh, as you mentioned, not being the the the, the big brolic, muscle bound guys, just guys who are younger, athletic, can do more stuff in the ring. And as much as I love Brett, and he's loved across the the the, the world, I just still feel like he don't get enough credit for that point, a period of time. Yeah, he had convincing work and convincing promos. The thing I liked is that he was such a simple baby face in that if he told you something was going to happen, it was probably going to happen. And keeping your word is such a simple baby face move that Brett was able to execute, no pun intended, a little bit better than everybody. Yeah. But also there weren't a lot of things that Brett Hart would do in the ring that didn't make sense. And I don't know. I don't think I picked up on that then. I picked up on it now. But I didn't pick up on it then, but it still translates. Like, even though I'm not consciously saying, oh, Brett didn't do something that didn't make sense, you could, it just came through because of the way the match played out. Then the rest of the match made sense. And Brett did that better than anybody that I saw. And the thing is, I was more of a Shawn Michaels fan at that time. Like, I was, I grew up. And my first favorite wrestlers were the Rockers. I loved Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. But looking back at Bret Hart's work, I was like, damn, that's why everybody was having good matches with him. Hakushi, One, Two, Three Kid, Diesel, Shawn Michaels, all, I think, pretty good at what they did. But Bret brought the best out of them. So we're at WrestleMania 12, and we'll, we'll, go, we'll go through this real quick. Um, as I mentioned, Shawn Beatson for the title, Iron Man match. In real time... What did you make of the match? And when you think about it 24 years later, what do you think of it? And there are some people out there, Sean, that love the match. It's a top five, top 10 all-time match in general, WrestleMania. But there are some people out there that might feel like, it might be a little overrated to a degree. So what do you make of the match of it in real time and now? I do think it was overrated, uh, oh, but oh come on, Sean! <laughs> I do, I do think it was a little overrated. But as as a highlight clip that you're going to see for years and years to come, mm-hmm. it did what it needed to do. And that WrestleMania card was also, if you look at it from a marquee value, man, that that WrestleMania card was real good looking. Piper Gold Dust, yeah. Stone Cold, and Savio Vega had a hot feud. That feud ruled. Warrior and Triple H looking back, Diesel and Undertaker, mm-hmm. and then you cap it off with this match. I, I I love it. There There's so many fond memories of that from Shawn Michaels' gear to how the match played out. I, I mean, is it a match that's going to keep my interest today? Probably not. Back then, it definitely did. Real time, I was like, this is everything I ever wanted. Looking back, 
like most wrestling from that era. It doesn't age quite as well because the pace is picked up. But I think if you watch it as like a condensed highlight, I think it, it hits perfect. Um, so, yeah, Brett goes on a hiatus at the WrestleMania 12, showing the champion. He's fighting people like Diesel and the Bulldog, Owen Hart. Um, and then, lo and behold, in this time, Stone Cold becomes a, a big time phenomenon with the King of the Ring and his speech, uh, the Austin 316 at King of the Ring 96. And then Brett comes back. I think, you know, if I'm not mistaken, he handpicked Stone Cold to be his first opponent coming back. Yeah. So um, that showed a lot of what Stone Cold could be or, or was supposed to be at that time. And, and honestly, Sean, that rivalry um, was one of the better rivalries, not only in that time, but in, in, in all of wrestling. Um Pretty much from from Survivor Series of November '96 all the way to at least July '97 at the Canadian Stampede, but we know what that rivalry did for Stone Cold. But what did it cement? What did it mean that rivalry with Stone Cold and Bret? What did it mean for Bret Hart? If there was any doubt from little kids like me that Bret Hart could still go, I mean, there you there you go because. To me, again, as a kid, mm-hmm. I look at that and I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's been gone for six months. It, will he ever be able to wrestle again? And I saw Steve Austin calling out Bret Hart. And I'm like, what is this? I thought he was a rookie at that point. I'd never seen him in WCW. I'm like, what is this new guy doing calling out Bret? Like, he's not supposed to do that. He's <laughs> yeah. a, like a mid-card guy calling out the guy. And the thing that I like is that Brett was like, okay, I'll face you. It'll happen. It'll, it'll go on. And that it was weird because the heel wanted that fight so, so bad. To me, it reaffirmed Brett as a top guy because he was willing to fight anybody on the card to prove that he could still beat them. Mm-hmm. And to me, it made Brett seem a lot more fresh because I hadn't seen that. I had seen him work The Undertaker. I had seen him work Shawn Michaels. I had seen him work Diesel since I had come back and started to watch wrestling a lot more. Uh, I, I had missed a lot of the Hakushi, Isaac Yankum type of stuff. And let's be real, they didn't emerge any better anyway working with Bret Hart because they weren't supposed to. Steve Austin emerged a lot, a lot better. So to me, there was a a real fresh element to somebody like Steve Austin, who was new to WWF, but was in the mid card working with Brett, Brett beating him, but him still ending up for the better. And I think that helped Brett's perception with me because I always like seeing new talent emerge. And I think what was uh, important and crucial was the fact that, you know, we're talking 1996 at this time, Sean, it's, um, you know, the good guys are I'm sorry, the bad guys are cheered more. They they they, they fans are, are loving the bad guys more. So a guy like Stone Cold at this time, e- even after King of the Ring, he's a heel making that promo and people are buying his merchandise. They're buying his shirts. They're they're they're, they're loving Stone Cold. So Brett, when he left, he was a good guy. He comes back into sort of a different atmosphere where it's like, ah, Stone Cold's getting cheered, but he's a heel. Um, Psycho Sid getting cheered at the Garden as a heel against Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series that same night. I mean, albeit it was in New York, but it kind of showed you like the landscape was changing where if you weren't cool, if you weren't like cursing or doing some different shit, you know, we're not going to like you as much before you left. So when Brett goes back, 
it's like, all right, Brett's still cool, good guy, pink and black and all that, but it's a whole different landscape of what of what the fans are looking for at that time. Yeah, and I think the funny thing is that Brett, because he was so different, actually fit in really well. And when they made him like take the moral high ground and all that, I think that had some legs to it, way beyond when he left. So when Brett came back and he was like, man, I don't like this. I don't like any of this. But he was still cursing at Vince McMahon. Yeah. He was being such a hypocrite that it made him that heel. It made him easy to boo and easy to care about with a fresh run. And he was in and out of the title picture. It felt like him and Shawn Michaels were injured all the time, one or the other. Yeah. It felt like one of them were hurt all the time. So we couldn't quite get that match. I loved this because Brett, without saying, doing the over the top, I am a role model and I am a good guy. He just laid it out there. He's like, in my country, we don't treat people like this. We're a lot better to people. Your place sucks. I never really liked it anyway. That to me was just, ooh, it was perfect for that time. And you just mentioned, uh, Sean was the champion. He gets hurt when we do the, um, you know, I miss my smile kind of speech. And uh, Brett is still, Brett is back. He's uh, doing the rumble, doing the final fours and everything. And then Sean has to give the belt up. And, um, you know, according to Brett, the plan was that, hey, I'm going to take six months off. I'm going to do my thing when I get back. But at the WrestleMania 13, the proposed plan or the rumor was that Brett was going to get that rematch against Sean. And then Sean gets the injury. And Brett maybe in real time say, you know what, he's, he, he's bullshit. He's lying. We just never got that rematch between Brett and Shawn Michaels at a WrestleMania that Brett thought he was going to get. Um, is that like a, one of the major what-ifs in wrestling where it's like, man, uh, listen, that, that could have happened, that should have happened, but maybe just uh, the, the the disconnect between both was, was so far apart. Or like you said, they were both injured. Why we really never got a Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels rematch at a WrestleMania? To me, looking back, no, because of how much it helped Steve Austin. I'm sure at the time I was like, oh, man, come on, because I hate the idea of handing over a title or vacating a title or anything mm-hmm. like that. Can't stand it. Now, admittedly, Sean wasn't back until late May, I think, when, when they did the tag title match with the Hart Foundation. Yeah. So it's like, ah, uh, that's OK. That is a bummer. But WWE it's weird because they had such a top heavy roster at that time. They had Sid, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Undertaker. If you look at that card, it was so thin because they got all their stars on the show. And then there was like nobody else. There was nobody else. Uh, And to me, I I think it almost had to happen like that. I don't know what would have happened with Steve Austin if he didn't have that match because Sid and Undertaker were going to face each other. It's like, who do, who does he face? How, how does that work? Mm. I don't know. So I think altogether, because they got several years out of Steve Austin, they only got one more year out of Brett, or one more year out of Steve Austin, or damn, they got one more year out of Shawn Michaels <laughs> and a few months out of Brett. Yeah. I think it all worked out best for them. Mm. And we're now at the timeline. You mentioned you know, him and Vince and... I think is um you mentioned in the ring steel cage match uh, on Raw, and Brett it just he's just fucking livid, frustrated. He's cursing, everything is bullshit, and you know he's mad at Vince and Gorilla Monsoon, 
And what people, I know they know it, but what they fail to realize is that, you know, we all glo- we, we all see Stone Cold st- uh, doing a Stone Cold stunner on Vince and at the Garden and Raw and everything, everybody going crazy. But Brett was, to me, like the first person to put his hands on Vince. And Vince was a commentator and, you know, everybody knew he owned the company, but he was, he was still doing the commentator. And Brett was the first guy, in my opinion, that put his hands physically on Vince. I think it was um, that that night in the, in the, the cage, uh, in the promo. We saw it later, I think, in the summertime where they had this this t- a tussle and uh, McMahon pushed the shirt over Brett and then in the Hart Foundation trying to break it up. Like, he was having those kind of altercations with Vince before Stone Cold was. And this is like March 97 all the way to July and to me, Sean, I think Brett still doesn't get enough credit for kind of ushering or, you know, laying the foundation for the genesis of the Attitude Era that was soon to follow right after that. Yeah, and and the genesis of all that and grouping so many people together, kind of as you mentioned, I think was important. Because when you associate a lot of those guys with these top guys – it, even if they're established, like Bret Hart or Owen Hart, British Bulldog, even Legion of Doom, all established. Mm-hmm. But by that time, there were ta- there was a different like hierarchy for tag teams and stuff. You could tell WWE didn't value them as much. Having them associated with these top guys went such a long way and made everyone seem more important. It, it, it was the, the beginning of the faction era for WWF, and I thought that was an important one in 97. Not so much when it went to like Los Bariquas and DOA and all that crap, but <laughs> before that, when it was like you would see the nation and the yeah. Heart Foundation, mm-hmm. and then a group of Americans, and like these people that had these different values and different motivations, that went a long way for me. That helped establish a lot of people for me. So, so I, that that was really great for me. Right. So even at WrestleMania 13, we're not at the USA Canada stuff yet, but um, he gets Stone Cold submission match, and, and and that was the night that everybody goes back to and says, "Man, that double switch, that double turn, Stone Cold from the bad guy to the good guy, and Brett is a good guy to the bad guy." You start seeing signs like, "Hey, this is kind of like." You know, something different now. Like, okay, now let's see where it goes from now on. And uh, to me, man, I've said it before, the Sean Brett, I'm sorry, the, the, the Brett Stone Cold WrestleMania 13 is at least a top three WrestleMania match of all time. Uh, in general, at least top five, top ten uh, match of all time. When you see it, when you saw it in real time, when you go back now, retrospect 23 years later, where does Stone Cold Bret Hart WrestleMania 13 match for you uh, fall? To me, it was the genesis of if Stone Cold Steve Austin is on pay-per-view, you got to watch him type of thing. Because whether he had an injured neck or whatever, it, it didn't matter. you got to watch his pay-per-view matches. Today, even though I don't think that, that the work is like, like the actual technical wrestling is quite up to where the rest of today's is, just the excitement that was added to every single match because he was in it and he brought the, again, that R of believability. It made him must watch to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So where do you have it on your favorite WrestleMania match roster list? Where does oh it man, go, it's it's probably top ten for me, just because okay. like I love I love the TLC matches. Mm. Like, I love the, the the Edge and Christian Hardy's Dudley stuff. Special place in my heart. Nice. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart also has a special place in my heart. Uh, the Triple Threat Women's Match I think was maybe the best women's match in WrestleMania history. Mm. So yeah, actually it's probably I would say top five if not right outside of it. So if I have Brett Stone Cold in the order, um, well, number one, Taker and Sean from 25, Brett Stone Cold from 13, and Macho Steamboat from three. If I say, yo, that's the top three WrestleMania matches of all time, am I am I that far off? No, no. I mean, it, and it's all subjective. To me, at the time, especially if you if you weigh at the time, Steamboat and Savage would have to be up there because it was so far beyond everything that was done nowadays like it's it's not it doesn't hit as well for me just because so much has changed since then and they're the type of people i think if they got 10 more minutes they they could have made that match better whereas if a lot of other people got 10 more minutes in that era the match would have been more boring because of those extra 10 minutes (laughs) i think they would have only added to that so yeah i mean i I would be in agreement with you Uh, to me Nobody's top 10 or top three, five is really wrong. So now at this point, um, you know, doing research and, and trying to put the timeline together. So this is like maybe April, May of 97. And you start seeing the the, the planting of the Hart Foundation with Brett, the Bulldog, Owen, um, Pillman and, and uh, the Anvil. And, um, you know, to me, it, it's a perfect time, the perfect storm. Brett is getting way better in the microphone. With his promos to to Toa Sean, Toa Stone Cold, and everybody else, Vince McMahon, whoever, um, you're seeing the Hart Foundation now really be in full effect by April and May of '97 as a faction. Because at that time, you mentioned only Nation and just a small handful of factions were out there. Seeing this faction being built again, um, morphed into a Bulldog and Owen and Pillman. What did you make of the Hart Foundation back at that time? I loved it. I loved it. Uh, me at the time, I didn't know where Brian Pillman fit in because I wasn't, I didn't know about the history, but I loved it. Everybody knew that Brett and Davey had their close personal relationship and he was married to Brett's sister. The history with Owen was documented as well as anything. Jim Neidhart, you knew him, you knew he was Brett's partner. Uh, Brian Pillman was the wild card for me, but knowing what I know now, mm. I love the addition. Love the addition. Wish they would have just put the entire 97 Heart Foundation into the Hall of Fame last year because True. let's be real. We know WWE does not like to put a lot of deceased wrestlers in. Usually it's about one a year. This would have been a great way to put everybody in. And if they wanted like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Owen is in too, even though we're not outright saying it for obvious reasons, it would have been a great way to do that, I think. Right. Um, so I read somewhere that Vince McMahon had to really convince Brett uh, with, the, with the heel turn. I, you know, Brett was more of the, you know, I'm a good guy. I, I, I'm going all across the, the country, all across the world, being a, a real fighting world champion. He wasn't ready to go in that mode and you know Brett Brett wasn't a heel you know he 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 hadn't been a heel since the 80s with the the original Hart Foundation with Jimmy Hart and, and those guys so um you talk about 
over 15 years later saying, hey, Brett, we want to go through this uh, U.S.-Canada storyline. I think it would be perfect for you uh, with the current climate of, of what we got going on. And just seeing that Brett was like, listen, man, if, if, if I'm a good guy, what do you got for me? And I read somewhere that he said uh, that he'll be fighting Vader like the whole the whole year, and he wasn't really a fan of that. So he was like, "Yeah, I'll try this out and see where it goes." So let's just say, in hindsight, that Bret Hart was never a heel <laughs> in this time. Um, I think it would have been a different thing to look at for Bret just fighting Vader the whole fucking year, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's weird to look at that and think like, how different would wrestling be if Bret Hart didn't turn heel? Because he, to me, in a lot of ways, he launched like the pseudo babyface heel tweener thing to where, especially because geographically where you're going to be, you're going to get a reaction like that. Because I don't remember like before that a lot of people that were bad guys getting good guy reactions just because they were near where they lived or even the same country where they lived. Like it, it was it was something that changed the face of wrestling. Bret Hart's one year run changed so much and set the stage for the attitude era. And the thing is, I really, really, really wish that Bret could have been able to stick it out just a few more months. That way he could have had that attitude era run. I think Mr. McMahon would have eventually got there and and popped up as a character. But I really wish that, uh, that, that Bret could have hung on because that, that heel run Opposite Austin in eight two thousand or nineteen ninety eight would have been amazing. Hey, you know what? That was my next question, bro. I'm I'm like <laughs> next is how would Brett have done in the official attitude era if he had stayed? Because now it's him, it's Stone Cold, it's Shawn Michaels, it's Kane, Undertaker, Triple H, Mankind. Um again, Owen's still there, like and, and, and again, like the story of when he goes to WCW, he wasn't used right. He wasn't properly. It was just a, a, a fucking train wreck. Um, I don't think I don't think much fault of Brett. He might hold a little a little fault to that, a little baggage. But just seeing him in a red hot 1998 and with the kind of things that they were trying to do with different matches and Hell in the Cells and Inferno matches, they were really, really creative. And just kind of seeing Brett in those guys like, with a fucking dude love or mankind, like he would have so many great matches and storylines that Brett would have just continued to do what he what he always did and kind of elevate the talent. Yeah, that's that's the that's the big question to me. What would have happened? Well, the way that I look at it, one, the Hart Foundation would have stayed together. Yeah. Period. Hart Foundation would have stayed together because uh, Bulldog and Anvil weren't used for shit weren't used for shit in WCW. <laughs> Unfortunately, what what happened to Brian Pillman happened to Brian Pillman and that happened no matter what. Uh, but and, and that sucks. That's very unfortunate. Yeah. But uh, the Hart Foundation would have continued. I'm sure some of them would have had crappy matches with DOA and, and again, the Bariquas and stuff like that. But you had a whole lot of people that Brett would have had fresh feuds with, with Mick Foley, Steve Austin as champion, Bret Hart being the heel foil to Steve Austin. I could have seen Vince, Mr. McMahon, instead of screwing Bret Hart, Mr. McMahon trying to screw Steve Austin because he wanted his wholesome champion back and didn't like the fact that Bret Hart or that Steve Austin was this loudmouth guy. Then towards 99, 
you would have had Christian and Edge mm-hmm. and Kurt Angle wow. and all these people. Like I even sit here and think about, okay, well, what if Brett didn't go to WCW? He probably wouldn't have got the type of concussion he had. I could have probably been watching a Bret Hart versus Taz match in 2000. And that is insane to even think about. I don't even associate those eras with one another. And there were just there was such an influx of talent that that got over quick and that developed quick that would have developed even quicker with Bret Hart, especially as a heel. Oh, there was, it was such a rich territory at that time. It was such a rich roster. Bret Hart and Triple H working like that Ooh, would have been really good. Nasty. I think. I think that WWF as a whole would have benefited from Bret Hart still being there. I know a lot of people say it launched Mr. McMahon, and that's true. I think he was getting there anyway. We saw some shades of it. I think Bret Hart staying with WWF would have been amazing. I mean, look, Bret Hart and The Rock, bro. I never saw that, right? Yeah. We never saw it. Yeah, they, they did one match with Rocky Maivia and Bret Hart. One. One. Wow. wow. <laughs> um. A few more before I let you go. Um, so now we at the the USA Canada storyline. Just going back at it, like again, to 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 turn someone heel is is easy. Oh, you you're a bad guy tomorrow. You you hit somebody and whatever. Like like a big show with turning heel fifty times. Uh, but you talk about you going against a whole country and you're booed in the the USA, but you cheered in Canada. That was just a different direction at that time. Like. Uh, when you when you go back at it, how like what's the legacy of that of that um, heel turn for Brett and that storyline to, to go up against a whole fucking country? It changed the entire industry. It it caused dissenting reactions uh, for for baby faces and heels. It it broke a lot of the molds in pro wrestling where oh you, you got to cheer the good guy, you got to boo the bad guy, which I mean had happened a little bit here and there. But every week, like a different reaction, uh, it, it had the heel complaining in something that was rooted in truth. So it's like you boo this guy, but you're like, ah, he's kind of right. I think that that one year run, it completely changed wrestling and for the better. Uh, my last point to you. Um, I think in retrospect, you can say the peak of Bret Hart's heel run and the uh, the Hart Foundation had to be Canadian Stampede, right? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. That was perfect for them. The finish, I thought the finish sucked, but <laughs> uh, that that, was, that environment was perfect. And I think, just to cap it off, I think what, what doesn't get talked about enough, everybody loved Canadian Stampede, but to me, bro, SummerSlam 97 how that story with Taker and Brett unfolded. You insert Shawn Michaels into the uh, the referee spot. You you start building Shawn Michaels and Taker after that, and just the whole like if 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 somehow if if Shawn doesn't ref down the middle, he can't wrestle in the country no more. He gets the chair. He wants to hit Brett. Brett spits in his face. He hits Undertaker. Yeah. He counts him out, and it's like. And then walloped him. Exactly. One of the nastiest chair shots ever. <laughs> I think to me, man, like we we mentioned Stampede, but that SummerSlam 97 ending, man, does not get talked about enough. It was one of the greatest finishes of all time on a pay-per-view. I loved it. Absolutely. Uh Sean Rossap, Fightful.com. Uh Sean Rossap on Twitter. Great work for Fightful.com. My man, thank you. I appreciate it. Randy, thank you so much. I'm glad we could do this. And uh, yeah, to look back on one of the, the best eras 
And I think one of the, even though, even though he's still widely, uh, or I don't want to say universally praised, but mm-hmm. uh, heavily praised, still one of the more intriguing, underappreciated characters in wrestling history. And that's saying it's something because he's known as one of the greats. Uh, I had a lot of fun, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it.